Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing uh, podcast number 125. Today is Sunday, December 17, 2017. And today's guest is an Australian organist, James Flores. James began his musical career with piano lessons at the age of four under the guidance of his aunt Aurora Flores. Since then, he has been a regular participant at the Albury Wodonga Eisted Foot and has won the age championships several times throughout his school years. He has also been junior champion of the Bernstein piano competition held at Shepparton and a finalist at the Bernstein piano competition held in Ringwood. James also studied the violin with the late Margaret Moore and participated in numerous border music camps and as a member of the Murray Conservatorium Orchestra. In 2011, James became interested in sacred music and the organ. He first began lessons on the organ under the instruction of Benedict Wilson and subsequently became sub-organist for the Scola Cantorum at St. Patrick's Church, Albury. James uh, was actively involved in the Scola's liturgical activities, concerts and production of three CDs. From 2014, he continued his organ studies under the guidance of Dr. Alan Beavis, as organ scholar of the St. Matthew's Musical Association. In 2017, James placed second in the Ringwood Classical Organ Competition in Melbourne. James has participated in master classes with renowned organists such as Daniel Moult and Johan Vexo uh, from Paris. James has successfully attained the licentiate diploma with honors from the St. Cecilia School of Music in Organ and the associate diploma from the Australian Music Examination Board in Organ and Piano. He also holds a diploma in Church Music and the Archbishop's Award in Church Music. James's involvement in Church Music Ministry spans over several parishes of the Albury. New South Wales area. James enjoys uh, the demanding but rewarding challenges in contributing to the various liturgies of the Christian Church and his ongoing development as a recitalist and liturgical organist. He hopes that the organ will be a treasured instrument for many more generations to come. Apart from his musical endeavors, James completed an IT degree from the University of Wollongong and currently works as an enterprise systems engineer at Fairfax Media. He is also strongly interested and skilled in many web-related technologies. In fact, his website jamesfloresorganist.com was created by James along with the assistance of his talented wife Lisa Flores who is a graphic designer. In this conversation, James shares his insights about his recent 12 recitals in 12 months challenge. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, James, for uh, allowing me to connect with you. I'm so delighted to be able to talk about your uh, um, fantastic challenge of 12 recitals in 12 months. That's a feat that not too many organists have uh, been able to do. Uh, I have experience in this too. Uh, some some years ago, I did this similar challenge and it wasn't easy. We will talk about that, of course, but it was worth it. So thank you so much. You're very generous and inspiring, James, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Wonderful. Uh, I'm uh, so delighted and eager to know about your beginnings as an organist. Do you remember the first time somebody introduced you to the pipe organ in Australia? Yeah. Uh, could you share the story with us? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so I was raised a Catholic and um, I go to church every Sunday. And I didn't really 
hear much organ repertoire. The only thing I knew about the organ was uh, the hymns. And uh, unfortunately, they weren't too inspiring for me. And as I had quite a good piano background, um, I knew that something could be better. Uh, but there just happened to be one Sunday that I, I turned up and there was this, uh, this man who played and he played some um, repertoire and it was very pleasing and it was, it was, it was different. It wasn't, it wasn't a hymn. Um, it was actually proper literature. And um, I think I recall who was playing some uh, Dandria, which was a early, early French, early French music. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, and it really, it really captivated me because I'd never actually heard the organ uh, played to that resource. I was used to hearing all this foundational work. Now that I know what it is, um, yes, I, I didn't realize that the organ was capable of those of those sounds. And that's mm-hmm. what immediately grabbed me to it. How old were you at that time? Oh, I would have been already. 22 or 23 23 and you had a good piano background right before that yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh, what kind of organ was that uh, was it a pipe organ or electronic yes yes it was a pipe organ mm-hmm. it's only uh, probably 10 10 or 12 ranks mm-hmm. um yeah so it's 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 not too it's not too big but it was enough to get me excited about it Wonderful. Uh, when we first uh, hear organ sounds, sometimes it's not uh, a real organ repertoire, sometimes uh, hymns, sometimes beautifully played, sometimes not so beautifully, right? And you were lucky <laughs> to hear some classical French music, which is obviously wonderful. Uh, and uh, it adds variety and color to the liturgy if you use it properly. Uh, so, uh, Dandrio. Right and uh, and Couperin and Clarembeau, all these composers uh, today are integral part of organ repertoire. But if you play it during the liturgy, it's also very very exciting. Yes, very exciting. <laughs> so James, uh, what happened next after that? How did you decide to become an organist after hearing those beautiful organ sounds? After I heard that, I went up to the organist and I said. I would like to have some lessons and that's where it basically went from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and he was, he was pretty keen to teach me and um, yeah, it, long story uh, short, um, you know, we had quite a good choir and we had really nice sacred music and, you know, he taught me a lot of that uh, French classical type of music. Mm-hmm. Was the organ suitable for that kind of music? Um, now that I know, it it wasn't really suitable. Mm-hmm. It was more of an English type of organ. Uh, but that was what you know. My first teacher was interested in. He was in into that type of music. Mm-hmm. Majority of organs in in uh, Australia are of English style, right? Uh, yes, I would say so. Yes. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's yeah, important to play all kinds of music. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I was a bit late to learning other organ repertoire, so I had to go to another teacher to learn, to learn and discover different styles. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, of course, do you remember what was the first organ piece that you played, the very, very first composition? Yes, so it would have been Clarembeau's second suite. Entire suite, oh. Entire suite, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you enjoy it? Or was it challenging? Think, uh, it was challenging. It was challenging to not play the organ pianistically. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, not play the keys with such great force because um, it doesn't do anything and yeah I really enjoyed that suite because every every movement is self-contained and um, useful it's not too long it's not too short um, there's a variety of uses for it and of course it's a great recital piece 
mm-hmm. um, if you play it in its entirety. And if you if you put it in the right places of the liturgy, you could actually play entire cycle during one mass, right? Postlude, prelude, communion, offertory, and and pieces in between. Yes, correct, and that and that and that um, will be exciting. Except the traditions here in Australia don't really fit in with that, even though I would like to. Um, you know, some people don't even like having the postlude, mm-hmm. which is a bit that's a bit sad. But um, I try and play a postlude anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially, especially in a town where I live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the liturgy, people usually chat with each other, right? And they don't need any music, right? Because music actually only uh, distracts them from chatting. Correct. <laughs> but then James comes in and plays with loud organ stops and, and uh, overwhelms the chat. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you- <laughs> um, so, James... Um, I'm very interested to know uh, what developed later in your organ career. Uh, Did you decide to become organist uh, uh, sort of gradually or it was a sudden revelation with you? Um, I guess it was, well, from that moment that I heard organ repertoire, it was almost like a revelation. And I'm the type of person where if I like something, I need to see it through and I will work hard to to learn as much as I can about it. Um, yeah, so, you know, I stayed with that teacher for a few, few years, but I felt like I was missing out on other literature and, you know, from, from listening um, to all your podcasts and um, YouTube videos, you know, um, I, I realized I had to find another teacher um, and I went to the best organ in my town, knocked mm-hmm. on their doors of that church and happened to be um, the organist there. And yes, that, you know, basically I started getting lessons from the local uh, Anglican church. Wonderful. Uh, I actually... I actually uh, decided to look up you on my email inbox because you are a subscriber to our blog, right? Organduo.lt. And the first message that I received from you was from, <laughs> from early 2015. So basically, okay. basically almost three years now. And okay. it, it was a, a comment uh, on a on a post about creating a piece for communion for the baptism of Christ. I think I shared shared um, the score and recorded with video the process of my, uh, of my compositional method. And you wrote, hi Vidas, thanks for sharing this. Uh, and then you wanted to uh, Ask me about running Google AdSense, right? Oh, For extra yes, remember, remember, that. <laughs> remember that? Yes, I remember that. Yes, uh, because, uh, that was an excellent idea. My, because aside from my, you know, my love of the organ, and my my day job is uh-huh. in, in IT with with computers. So uh, mm-hmm. I thought I'd just give you a little suggestion. And right, you, but I think you you already tried it at some stage. I, I did, and because uh, because this revenue extra stream is not very very great, it's just an additional a little bit of tick uh, tickling of of uh, sense. Uh, yeah. But what it does is, of course, it distracts uh, our, uh, my visitors from my sites and and uh, directs them to further you know <laughs> sites which are yeah. maybe unrelated right i think so, i think you have a much better business model now <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in uh, in the middle of 2016 um, you wrote an interesting uh, comment comment to the a podcast with John Higgins from Australia, your your uh, fellow countryman, 
remember that that podcast about John Higgins at the time he was living in a in a um, small town of Wyala um, oh, yeah. right uh, in in Western Australia I think and um, uh, and he and he shared his insights and experiences uh, about his organ playing and because he also uh, didn't have a, you know uh, organ uh, teacher at the beginning uh, he studied with me uh, online and then i decided to talk to him uh, about all his experiences and you wrote interesting comment do you want me to read it hello Vidas. Uh, what course would you recommend to me for somebody that does not have any experience with improvisation? And then you write, you write, I play for masses in two local Catholic parishes, and I want to be released from shackles of interlude music books. I find it extremely frustrating to fill in particular parts of the mass with repertoire as the time varies greatly. So improvisation was your interest at the time, right? Yes, yes, I do remember that, yes. Wonderful. So, um, how did it all start, uh, uh, your interest in improvisation and liturgical playing? Uh, did you discover that playing uh, segments of uh, repertoire was not sufficient and playing hymns? You wanted to express yourself more free, right? Uh, yes, well, I'd, I've heard filling in the gaps done um, I've, I've heard filling the gaps that aren't done very well, in my opinion, i.e. playing the hymn again without anyone singing. You know, it just, it just didn't seem right to play, just keep playing the hymn on. Um, and probably at that time, I, probably, I had, a, had a book of interludes in, you know, all the possible keys, and I would just continue on using that. And I, and I, still, and I still do that uh, because repertoire as you might know um music in the catholic church they won't wait for you um but they don't sing all the verses of the hymns for a start um so if the priest is ready to continue on with the mass um he will cut you off um if you're not finished so mm -hmm. you know, I, I thought maybe improvisation would be um a lot easier to be re uh, to release. Uh, I, I think improvisation would be easier because otherwise, if I'm playing from an interlude book, I have to somehow resolve and you know find a find the tonic and end end the piece. Um, whereas I think improvisation could have helped me um, at the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. Of course. Um um it's uh, it's really um, it's really difficult sometimes to uh, play an improvised piece right if if you're not uh, used to this if you have no experience with music theory and harmony um and sometimes people are afraid to do this because they feel that they cannot really express musical ideas well enough. Maybe they understand how the piece is put together better. They have a good musical taste while playing musical repertoire, but their skill of creating music in the moment is not yet established. And, um, and that's where they get stuck, right? Uh, but it's important to continue, I think. Yeah. Right. So James, uh, I, I've read that you were invited to perform at St. Andrew's Cathedral in, uh, in Sydney, right? How was it uh, experience uh, with this? Uh, or or uh, did you play in November, right? Uh, November, yes. Yeah. So it was mm -hmm. about a month ago now. I think it was the last month ago. I played there. Mm -hmm. So it is like 550 kilometers away from, from Albury, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my organ friends live in Sydney or in Melbourne, so there's not many people um, that I can really bounce ideas off, but that's obviously, that barrier is broken with, with the internet and emails and chat. Um, that's not really an issue, except if you want to meet up and actually 
yeah, have a cup of coffee with someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not that far, and it's in terms of getting a flight, uh, a plane flight, it's not difficult to to go over there. Uh, was this recital at St. Andrew's uh, Cathedral a part of your 12th recital challenge or not? Uh, well, no, because um, I'd already had already planned the 12th mm-hmm. and then the cathedral, or the director of music there, Ross Cobb, um, asked me if I could, if I would like to play. So it actually mm-hmm. was number, that was actually number 12 and I had another one at home. So I actually did 13 this year. I see. But 12 sounds better because, you know, 12 months and 12 organ recitals. (laughs) So in reality, it was more. Uh, So let's talk about all the beginnings of your challenge. Uh, How how did you um, first came up with this idea uh, with, with, with with playing 12 recitals, different organ recitals, right? Different organ music every month. So... Uh, my teacher, he lives about an hour south of Sydney and they have, um, and he has quite a good lunchtime series, not just organ music, uh, you know, it could be piano, it could be vocals, uh, whatever, or strings. And a lot of the capital cities in Sydney and Melbourne, they have lunchtime organ recitals. So he thought it would be a good idea to start up a lunchtime recital series in Albury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is um, there's only a limited number of people who would be willing to perform in public. So I had to sign myself up for a lot of them. And it, it was scary because you can't really re- repeat the same repertoire because you've basically got the same audience coming back. Um, every every couple of weeks. Right. So you have loyal organ fans and uh, you have to provide constant uh, different organ repertoire for them, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that was this year, obviously. Um, so I, I had been learning for maybe three or four years. So I had, um, you know, a good amount of organ repertoire, but they weren't all the large scale pieces. So I had to continuously learn um, very quickly and then um, quickly perform them and forget about them and learn something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think looking back on it now, I I probably uh, put big pieces I put I put too many of the larger pieces in the one recital. I didn't spread them out evenly. And towards the end, I felt like it was getting very difficult. Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, my own experience, James, was uh, uh, I played, I think, 12 or even more recitals, maybe not in one year, but in two years, every every month. Uh, but my idea was to play, you know, like uh, repertoire from seven centuries of organ music. Uh, one month would be from mid- medieval ages, medieval organ repertoire, then Renaissance, then Baroque, different styles, different organ schools, then uh, romantic music, different countries, right? And so month by month, I would uh, advance into into the present day. And uh, at first, as you know, uh, <laughs> organ repertoire from the Middle Ages is not very terribly difficult uh, uh, technically speaking uh, not too much of pedal work so it went okay and then later on with the advance of the baroque music for for me uh, it became increasingly difficult even without pedals like english repertoire from the 16th century john bull and all those virginalists who, who who had great influence on on the Dutch organist and uh, master composer Jan Peterson Zwelling, they 
are extremely virtuosic uh, compositions, you know, these these pieces. And one month of of practice is not enough. I had to spread out in in advance and play maybe three recital worth of uh, music uh, at the same time to be able to play uh, fluently, you know, when the time comes. Did you discover the same things about yourself too? Yes, I had to look at repertoire that wasn't difficult, but um, was pleasing to the average listener. Um, but yeah, I, I learned that um, you really need to finish on something quite big, big in inverted commas. Um, they want to they wanna feel good about hearing the last piece. So, I mean... We call them the bookends here. You know, have have a good opening piece and have a fantastic end piece, and just fill in something in between. Um, I guess that's how, you know, towards the end of my recitals, how I had to um, plan them, plan them that way. Mm -hmm. When you play the entire cycle of twelve or thirteen recitals, did you plan your music well ahead of time, like twelve in a row, or just on the monthly basis? Maybe no, but maybe three in advance. Three. Um, it just got very difficult, you know, because you need to. Sometimes you got two pieces in this book and three pieces in another book. It was just it just got chaotic. I had to. Uh, make some copies and put them in individual folders. So kind of compartmentalize my life. You know, it, today I'm going to practice from this folder. Tomorrow I'll practice from the other folder. It's just the only way I could maintain some sanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you discover that your sight reading abilities improved over that time? Um, yes, I, I suppose it, it did. Um, it's, I surprised myself that I could learn something quick. Um, you know, I probably could have learned it to a much better standard personally, uh, but I really wanted to see this challenge through. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, would you repeat this uh, challenge one more time, James? <laughs> I was actually... I was asked to continue on for next mm -hmm. year, uh, but no, uh, I'll probably at most do half of what I did this year. Um, it was just a bit too much. And I have a, I have a job and I have a family as well. It took time away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, next year I, you know, I've been given the responsibility to find other performers um, and fill, fill them in. But, so I've got a few uh, friends that will, you know, do an organ recital and some some other musicians like uh, piano and cello and cello solo. So it's not just organ. It's, the organ's obviously the main part of this recital series, but we're filling it in with other instruments just to, to provide some variety at least because um, I wouldn't want to keep hearing myself every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I first uh, came across about the uh, idea of playing regular organ recitals, even daily recitals in, in Sweden. Uh, back in 2000, my friend, the organist and uh, uh, expert in organ restoration, Jorn Gran, took me to, to one of the churches in town. Was it... I don't remember the name because it was a long time ago, but the old organist there, he had a practice of playing daily organ recitals there himself. Wow, wow. He playing lunchtime recitals five times a week from Monday until Friday. And people could come with their lunch bags and eat during that time. And he would, of course, play sometimes improvised music, sometimes uh, organ repertoire, depending on the situation. But he was doing that for like 20 years, nonstop. And yeah. it was like uh, unbelievable. 
So yeah, the Ogre Saddles here in Aubrey, they're advertised as lunchtime saddles and you can bring your lunch in and, and eat as well mm. um, because it's right in the in the heart of the city. So um, people on the lunch break can just pop in and pop out. It's very, it's, it's casual, but there's still a sense of um, properness to the event. It's not blase. It's, it's quite, it's formal, but you can eat your lunch. <laughs> Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, it's relaxing if you can uh, eat your lunch there, but at the same time enjoy beautiful music. Um, so one comment, uh, James, about uh, the challenges. Uh, in my experience, uh, in the middle of, of, of this project, uh, I discovered that it's extremely difficult to learn every month something new. And I started playing organ improvisation recitals during that time too, every month, you know, just to mix repertoire with improvisation out of necessity, basically. I couldn't keep up with the space, but the recitals were already scheduled in advance, like a month uh, ahead of time or uh, a year ahead of time, all 12 recitals planned. And uh, I felt that to keep my sanity, I had to come up with some original ideas how to uh, create music on the spot. And that's where my improvisation experience helped me a lot for improvisation uh, improvising uh, non-stop music for 60 minutes what about you Uh, how did you finish your project i know it's easier to start than to finish right (laughs) i finished um almost a a month ago now i had the end of November, but it was kind of an awkward time. It wasn't quite the Christmas Advent season yet. Uh, but anyway, I, I did a selection of Advent and, and Christmas music because possibly I'll use them in services at Christmas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think sticking to a theme helped me with that with that last recital. And not, not all of my recitals had a theme. Or a good mix of everything, uh, but you know, I thought it was it could have it was it was appropriate to have have this Advent and Christmas theme. Sometimes having a theme really helps, not only for yourself but to your listeners. Uh, they know what to expect, right? They they have this um, expectation when they come. It's like reading a book about one subject versus reading a book about all kinds of subjects. It's, it's of course, easier to focus on one subject. Uh, yes, sir. Right? So, James, um, uh, what did you learn from this uh, uh, challenge, uh, uh, from all those difficult things and exciting moments? Uh, what would you share with our listeners today? Um, don't do it if you want to remain sane, (laughs) but it is a worthwhile challenge because you're forced to learn a lot of repertoire and you'll use it for the rest of your life. Um, And when you pick up those pieces again, they come back, they come back easier and you can continue to refine them. And when you have a goal, it's, it's easier. I mean, you're you're compelled to work uh, to work to re- to reach that goal. Um, whereas if I didn't have a recital to work towards, what's the point of me really practicing? Who am I? You know, aside from you know personal satisfaction of learning something. I want to be able to share with others what I've been practicing. It's it's really exciting music. And so, yes, if if you want to learn lots of repertoire, well, sign yourself up for some organ recitals. Yeah. I took your picture. (laughs) Maybe I will share it. uh, on social media okay uh, it will be wonderful um, i think uh, 
to see both of us on one screen. Um, <laughs> If you don't mind, of course. Uh, so, of course, it's really scary sometimes this experience, right, of uh, putting yourself uh, out there not only just once, but several times in a row, or even 12 months in a row, right? Uh, and of course, was your first recital in the series a success or not? Not necessarily the. Uh, the perfect recital, or did you have some some critique for yourself? Uh, I think every recital had its had its moments, uh, but every recital also had its joys, and and that and that's life. Yeah, life's not always happiness. You know, it's it's up and it's up and down. Um, and and I guess another thing about being in the public all the time, you're is subject to a lot of criticism, whether that be helpful or not. Um, and it's, it's, it's something I've had to um, learn to deal with and manage and what, what to take on and what to just ignore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if you only pay attention to the critic, it's, it's so frustrating. It could uh, actually destroy your enthusiasm uh, in the long run, right? And uh, force you to quit your project in the mid, uh, mid, uh, oh, yes, mid project, yes. right? In the middle. Yeah, uh, I have to admit it wasn't all smooth sailing. There were, there were times where I questioned, do I really need to do this? You know, why, why, why bother with it? Nobody cares or too many people don't like your interpretations or and that kind of stuff but you know I, i'm just I, I just wanted to finish it i wanted to it was it's a personal achievement yeah yeah it's like a hero's journey in every story there is a point in adventure that a hero uh, is tempted to quit not once, but maybe multiple times. So for you, for you James, uh, when was the first idea to, of quitting? Uh, when did it happen? After the first recital or after the fifth or in the middle or at the end or multiple times? Uh, I'd say towards the middle. Middle, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like uh, swimming in a pool, right? In the in the in the pool, and where the waters get deep, right? Yeah. And you, that was the deepest point. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's like uh, swimming across the river, right? Or across the lake. Uh, you swim. You're kind of comfortable on next to the shore in the shallow waters. But then, uh, after a few hundred yards, uh, you start to feel it's uh, tiring, right? Exhausting. And then the the other shore, the, the other shore of the lake is not visible yet. And you reach the point of no return, right? Where you have to conserve <laughs> your energy going back or going forward. It's like... It's, it's it's extremely risky, right? After the fifth recital, you decided to continue, but you had the struggle, internal struggle of quitting, right? Debating. That's a good with way to put it. Yes, that's a good that's a good analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's extremely uh, tempting to quit in the middle of the project, of course, because uh, what would happen if you quit? Nothing really happened, right? Uh, people wouldn't even notice, probably, right? Yeah. Uh, some people don't even care. So actually, you are doing this only for yourself, of, uh, for advancement of your own personal courage and uh, skill. Um, but somehow you decided to continue, right? What what got you through, James? Uh, well, uh, I just don't like leaving things unfinished. Uh, it's part it's part of my psyche. I just you know it's it's I'm as you said I'm halfway. It just will take just as much effort and um, you know all that work building up your tower 
and to just go back and destroy it, why not just finish it and 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 deal with it afterwards? Um, and that's what I did. You know, I just had to block out everything else and and just work really hard. They call uh, this idea, this spot in the hero's journey, uh, the dip where you uh, look back and want to, you know, quit uh, your adventure, the, the dip. And there is an excellent short little book called The Dip by Seth Godin, um, in which he explains this idea so that a lot of people quit in the beginning or in the middle. Uh, and of course, if you run a marathon, right, uh, like 42 point... Uh, uh, something uh, kilometers uh, in a in a row. You're tired in the beginning, in the middle, but nobody really quits at the end, right? Everybody quits in the beginning or in the middle, uh, but in the towards the end, it gets kind of the second life, second breathing, uh, and easier, right? Because the the next the other side is is visible. Was it for you too? Yes. You could see that light, you just had to keep going and, mm. and eventually you'd, you'd get there. Um, mm. Did you, did you, James, uh, had any other points in your journey when you were tempted to stop and quit this project or just once? Uh, no, I think it was just that once, that one mm -hmm. point around about, around about the middle of it all. Mm -hmm. It's kind of important to have this dip because if you don't feel any frustration, if you are not challenged enough, then actually this project is uh, not important at all, right? Uh, nobody is tempted to quit eating popcorn during movie, right? It's so <laughs> right? Everybody is, is, is eating popcorn and nobody says, oh no, I can't continue eating my popcorn, I have to quit. <laughs> Nobody says that <laughs> because it, it doesn't matter, right? If you finish or you don't, uh, but your project, like 12 recitals in 12 months is, is extremely risky, right? If you, if you stop, you could blame yourself for not finishing for the rest of your life. Maybe, right? You exactly. would, you would uh, mark yourself as a quitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is a saying that the hero never quits which is not true which is actually not true because uh, the heroes quit all the time but different things things that not re relate to the project things that don't matter that's why you have the energy to continue on the main project because you quit so many other temptations right mm. correct uh, so what, James, uh, did you had to quit during this time or sacrifice, right? Sacrifice in order to continue your adventure in this field. I guess um, a little bit of sleep, mm -hmm. uh, a little, I guess, downtime and relaxation time, you know, so socializing with friends. You know, I must admit, um, I didn't have much time to be social or even just sit on the couch and watch some TV. Um, I, I had a job to do and, you know, I had very limited time. So something had to be pushed out of the way. So I guess that was unfortunately the least um, of my priorities. Um, and, I, and, and, I, and I am sorry for it. And, as with everything, we just have to sacrifice some things for a while and I'll pick them up again later. Mm -hmm. In order to win something, you have to sacrifice something, right? That's correct. And what did you win, James? I won my 12 recitals thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's definitely a big relief. Um, after finishing that last one, uh, but you know, as with every win, you, it's not—it doesn't last forever, and you have to jump on the next train and onto the next journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what life is about: catching, catching the next train to something else. It's, um, 
I find it hard to sit still and do nothing. I need to be I need to be motivated and to to have a goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, James, I think the most dangerous part is being in between of projects, right? Because you're then tempted not to do anything, to relax and have a downtime, uh, because you sacrificed so much in the past, and and you don't want to be so strenuous, strenuously exhausted in the future. So, in between of projects is very tempting to not do anything. But what um, I've heard. Uh, people do is to line up maybe five recitals in a row. It doesn't have to be every month, but maybe when somebody approaches you and says, hey, James, what are you playing next? You would know what you answer, right? Five recitals planned ahead of time, maybe during the next year or two, but your mind is already focused and moving towards your goal is easier. Mm. Agree. I agree. You have to. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah, I mean, even for next year's my recitals planned, I'm just thinking of, you know, what what repertoire can I learn? What 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 do I think is achievable? So you know, in 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 between this period of not performing now, um, I'm still thinking about what's what's next and what do I have to do. Right. So, James, uh, would you recommend people uh, on taking on this challenge uh, themselves, like repeating your journey, playing 12 recitals in one year or not? Oh, yes, I think you should at least do it once in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it, it is a true. I, I, I'm very confident that a lot of my friends can do it. Um, if I can do it, um, surely someone else can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it's kind of similar to uh, playing, let's say, marathon recitals of entire works of Bach or Vierne symphonies or Messian organ cycles, sometimes from memory, sometimes not. But organists from all over the world uh, uh, take up this challenge and, and do this uh, yeah, I think uh, in a with a big satisfaction, right? Mm, I do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, James, uh, going back now uh, at the beginning of your project, if if somebody else would want to follow your footsteps and uh, plan twelve recitals in twelve months, what would be the number one step? for them to do? Um, write out all the repertoire that you've played in the past. Um, just like a really big jigsaw puzzle. Um, and then you can basically cut up the pieces and you know, make little boxes and compartmentalize each recital. Um, I just I just naturally did that. I think that was the the only way I could see it holistically was to, you know, brain dump everything that I've played in the past, um, and that gave me a good a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Spread it out, spread it out evenly. Because you don't have to learn everything new, right? You can repeat from the past. Yes. Mm-hmm. It saves time and energy and uh, gives you more strength for for other new things to learn. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, I'm so delighted we had this conversation, James. I think uh, people all over the world will be inspired, not necessarily to play 12 recitals in 12 months like you did, but maybe on a shorter scale, right? On something on a smaller the scale would work too. Let's say a beginner organist who knows just, let's say, one prelude, right? Who can play it well enough for public would go to a local church, uh, get to know the local or- organist and say, can I play um, this postlude or prelude uh, next month, right? And uh, And commit to learning 12 pieces 
uh, a year, like every month, and playing them in this church after a Sunday uh, service, right? Like a postlude or before, like a prelude. Would that be possible too, right? It's possible, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. On a smaller scale, not necessarily entire recital, but just one piece. One piece, and then mm -hmm. at the end of that year, you'll have 12 pieces. And, and which is entire length of the recital. Yes. Mm -hmm. so exactly. It's, it's, not, it's not something that happens overnight, unfortunately. Um, it takes time. Um, but if you've been playing for a while, you, you'd be surprised how many pieces you've actually played over the over the Sundays or the monthly Sundays or what, however often you play in a church, if you do play in a church. Um, I'm, always, I'm very certain you'd be able to create a recital about, out of all those pieces that you played. Mm -hmm. Wonderful ideas, James, today. I think people, people try out uh, new things regularly and i think from this conversation they will take what's best for them either short scale challenge like playing one piece a month or maybe on a larger scale like you you did if they are advanced enough in the organ playing journey 12 recitals in 12 months just once in a lifetime right it's possible and it's doable and sometimes even who knows maybe they will repeat it in the future, right? Like you, maybe you will. Yes, I might repeat in the future because yeah. I would have forgotten that I've done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, wonderful. Thank you so much, James. It's so delighted, delightful to talk to you. And um, before we end this conversation, what would be the best uh, place for our listeners to connect with you online? Probably on Facebook, uh, my Facebook page, and you can message me through there or look through my posts and from there you'll be able to find my website which has more information about what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I, I do keep my Facebook page up to date and that's just searching James Flores Organist. Right. And what about your website address? Is it your name? Yeah, jamesfloresorganist.com Excellent. I will put this link into the description of this conversation so that people could uh, click and visit you online, say hello, support you, and motivate to create even further and share your art with the world. Thank you. Thank you. You are so inspiring person, and I'm glad we are living at the same time. Me too. <laughs> if you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online really soon.